Welcome to the Meltzone podcast of December 4th, 2018. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And today we're going to talk about a recently proposed method from Adrian Boyer, who talks about how you could re reinforce your 3D prints with virtual fibers. And we're also going to talk about different slicers that you can use for 3D printing. Yeah. And as always, we're also going to ask ask her we're gonna answer some of your questions uh from the youtube comments that you can send to us there or on at the melt zone on twitter and uh yeah before we get into all of that let's actually talk about what we've been up to current projects is the headline here yeah and we have briefly talked about that before and i think current projects are pretty it related <laughs> so yeah. you have been complaining that you get some software issues and well my things are more on the hardware side so <laughs> what have you been up to ah, yeah you know those problems in adobe premiere as we all do where you have crashes and, and random stuff just not working the way you want it um and there's nothing you can do about it that's the frustrating bit about that uh that's what my life has been for the last few days But it's not, I don't know why I keep using Adobe Premiere. Uh, it's it's come to haunt me so many times. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's a monthly subscription. And I keep paying for that software. And every time a new update comes around, it just stops working for a month or two. It's Yeah, yeah but the thing is, you're, you're just so used to working with that software that switching to another one would be that much effort that there really needs to be a good reason that you do a change. Yeah, but the question is like, how much time will I spend once to actually learn something like DaVinci Resolve <laughs> um, versus having to deal with all the crap that Adobe is, is throwing at us <laughs> every year? So I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm definitely looking into other alternatives. If you guys watching or listening have suggestions on what I could switch to, that is not Final Cut, um, then I'd, I'd be very welcome for that. Leave a comment below um yeah and and stefan you've also been um i guess upgrading for adobe yes i've been upgrading for adobe so well my when i started my youtube career i used to render my first videos on my old ultrabook which had an i7 the mobile version and was fine for the first couple of two or three videos but then i just got really really upset with the rendering times and just like two years ago i bought myself a gaming notebook a razor blade gaming notebook which is really really powerful and really expensive <laughs> yeah and the interesting thing like gaming requirements and video editing requirements are so closely matched except for maybe ram you need a bit more for video editing but everything else is pretty much the same so you get a gaming notebook and it's great for editing too yes um and so well before i used to travel with my laptop a lot because um well I used to do my masters. Uh, my girlfriend was living in another, another town. So I really liked to have a, a small machine, which was powerful. So where I could work on, but is still portable. So I decided to buy a razor blade and I was quite happy with that machine for the last two years. But the thing is, yeah, it's a fast machine, but when you really use it, it gets so loud. So during rendering and during working, you kind of always have to wear headphones. And this was oh bother yeah. bothering me quite a bit. So I just thought, okay, it's Black Friday. Let's maybe invest in a new workstation. Because before I always 
used to work on on normal PCs. I I gamed a lot. I had water cooling in my old machines and all of that. But just, yeah, a couple of years ago, I dumped that machine, didn't use it for three years. So, well, now I I finally bought myself a new workstation, which, yeah, features a Ryzen 7, a RTX 2070 graphics card, 32 gigs of RAM. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's a really nice machine. It's quiet also during work. I haven't been doing any editing so far because just normal work is keeping me that busy, but that'll come at the weekend. Well, let's let's just say it how it is. You've been gaming on it, right? I, I bet. Uh, no. no? <laughs> oh, come on. Yes, of All course I did. <laughs> I, I was playing quite a bit of Battlefield 5 at the weekend and I noticed that I still suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the Battlefield experience. Well, yeah, I I used to play PUBG quite a bit, like half a year ago or a year ago, and I always thought maybe I suck that much because my machine is not perfect for that. (laughs) No, I have a new machine and I still suck at first-person shooters. It's it's a lot of fun. I'm not not the worst, but I would prefer if I would be better. Well, yeah. So yeah, I have been gaming (laughs) a bit. <laughs> I have been gaming a bit, but I'm really looking forward to um, well trading the next video on on, on the new workstation. Yeah. It's just to see how it works out, yeah, especially rendering the podcast, which is a really long yeah uh, 1080p video. Took ages on my old machine. Yeah, it was it's not, like it's not in 4K or anything. It's just a 1080p no. 60 video, so it's like not the most strenuous uh, part, but. Um, I saw in your specs like you went for, you know, a solid choice. You went for the um, for the Ryzen seven eight core, um, but you didn't twenty six hundred X. Yeah, yeah, twenty six hundred. You didn't go for Threadripper, which is like the the logical thing. I have the Threadripper. I'm very happy with it. Um, why not though? There's not that yeah, much of a price gap, right? Well, there there is. There there is a bit but of you've a price got the gap. Twenty seventy and- in there, so that. <laughs> Yeah, it it wasn't a a cheap CPU to start with. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't choose Threadripper was just the energy consum- consumption. Uh, I don't know. I'm just always looking that my machines that I use quite for a bit of time don't draw too much power from the wall. You have the great advantage that you're using green power that you harness yourself from the sun. But yeah, I have well, to I have to pay actually winter. my uh <laughs> not in the winter <laughs> and that uh, since it's uh, raining for the last couple of days. But yeah, yeah this the thread ripper has a TDP of almost like 200 watts. So the the um the smaller ones, the smaller 16 and 12 cores. I don't know if the they don't make the 12 core anymore, right? With the second generation. But it's 180 watts, and then the 32 core is up to 250 watts. Mm-hmm. So that's so just TDP, right? That's not idle. Yeah. You need lower. a gigantic heatsink, better, True. probably uh, a water cooler. Uh, you the bundled need- one is even a water cooler, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that just was well drawing me off at the moment i don't do any 4k ed- editing i don't know if i'll get to that and regret that choice in the future um i still think it's a decent ch- still a decent choice for a rig that you can use for for editing and some casual gaming from time to time 
<laughs> you don't have so, an so electric. Says the guy with the RTX 2070 and <laughs> the Ryzen 7. Sure, well, you need to have ray tracing nowadays. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't okay, see any I difference guess. in Battlefield though. <laughs> So I switched it off again. <laughs> hype. The yeah, hype is well, real. the the twenty seven hundred was like a hundred bucks more expensive than the um, ten seventy. Oh yeah, that, that's a good deal because it's, it's way yeah. more powerful. Yeah, it's way more powerful. So for this reason, I just thought, yeah, screw it. I'll I'll buy the RT- RTX and maybe yeah. there will be some really nice content out uh, that I can use ray tracing, uh, where you can use it for ray tracing. Yeah, um, maybe there's going to be some application in wherever. Maybe Fusion 360 is going to support it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not really the rendering guy in uh, Fusion 360, but yeah, well, it, it has potentials. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think currently it's, well, for selling new GPU GPUs because they are not sure. like massively faster than the older generations. Uh, it's just like with new cars, new skiing equipment, new bikes. You always need to have something new because otherwise yeah. people are quite happy with the old stuff they're having. Yeah, and I mean we need to keep the economy going somehow, right? Yes, definitely, and that's exactly what I did. Um, it's it's <laughs> yeah. a really nice but machine, um, for sure, for sure. And I mean, looking at what what resources um, are being used on my system, which is kind of equivalent, but with a uh, with a sixteen core Threadripper, the CPU usually isn't the bottleneck. Nope. So you should be, and I'm I'm editing four K sixty, so you should be you should be fine. Yes, <laughs> for sure. I should really compare um, um, rendering times between my old system and the new one, just to um, maybe be even more happy with a choice I made. Yeah, I actually did some benchmarks on just a, a well a benchmark project between um, well when I when I got this laptop, which is the Huawei MateBook X Pro dedicated GPU. That's the reason, the only reason I got it. Um, between this. A two-year-old mid-tier gaming laptop and all sorts of other things. And this this thing is actually doing pretty well. It's taking like four times as long as the desktop. Yes, sure. But on a scale on, on other laptops, it's holding up pretty darn well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing with editing hardware is like you can pretty much edit on anything, but it's just going to take you long. It's going to be slower. Mm. Um and with proxy workflows, um, like we've discussed, uh, the same thing I do with with my editor from Norway, um, we just send back and forth proxy files or I send in proxy files. So there's not a lot of data and a lot of processing that mm. needs to happen. Um, if anyone of you listening wants to get into YouTubing and making videos, just start with what you have. Because most of the stuff you have can handle it. It's just, it, it might take a bit longer than fancy hardware. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also just the workflow in um in Adobe Premiere usually is quite fast if you're not doing 4K on a like 200 bucks laptop or something like that so yeah it's fine but it's just like comfort for me and well it was kind of a nice feeling to buy a new machine <laughs> so oh, yeah i just <laughs> went for that and i haven't been building um my own system for the last 7 or 8 years because uh, for the last time, I've always been uh, purchasing laptops because I was doing my bachelor's, doing my master's, and I needed to have something portable. But now that I'm like having a normal job and 
don't travel a lot with the equipment I own myself. Um, a workstation for me is the better choice. And I still have a tablet that I can use on, on the sofas and something yeah. like that. So you, you're completely getting rid of your laptop. Um, well, I will definitely keep one of them because I also use my laptops when I'm CNC. Um, right. But oh, I it's... probably, I'm really thinking about um, selling my razor blade because this was an expensive laptop and uh, it's kind of hard keeping that around and knowing that you like use it like two or three times a month yeah. um, and it's maybe still worth like a thousand bucks. I don't know. I need to get my head around that. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I mean, you, you mentioned you, you've, I uh, had such a, a good transition planned out, but <laughs> <laughs> don't think I'm going to be able to make it work. Uh, you mentioned you've you've got a more like r regular job situation now, and you're working as a simulation engineer. I used right? to work as a simulation engineer. I am well a 3D printing research engineer. I, okay, with Which... some still some minor tasks and simulation and optimization. Perfect transition. Yeah, uh, and, and this is the reason I was really hooked by the Twitter post that Adrian Boyer just made like a couple of days ago. And it has been on a lot of uh, news site the last recent days. And this was the making your 3D print stronger with the virtual fibers. Um, yes. You put into your part. And the, the idea behind that is not a new one. But um, just the way he showed it is a pretty nice thing. And it's just thinking a little bit out of the box. So basically, he's saying that um, use finite element analysis to find the areas which are highly stressed into your part. And this is the interesting thing. Add voids into your material at the locations where you have high stresses. And what that is causing is that you will have top and bottom layers and additional perimeters in the region of well the highly well in the highly stressed regions and therefore um stiffening and strengthening your part and this is something totally cool it's there is not something which is um implemented in any real commercial software yet but i see that this might be something which could be something that maybe fusion 360 might be adding because they have this um, big repertoire of all cat cam software and uh yeah, they, they do have a prepare for 3d print yes. kind of function and well fdm 3D printing, even though it is not the most, I would say, professional 3D printing method, still is used in quite a lot of commercial projects. I just had a guy at work today who showed us some scanners and all of the parts for holding that scanner and everything was, it was all 3D printed, all FDM 3D printed. Yeah. Um, because well, it's it's cheaper than it's way cheaper than uh, making an injection mold, and yeah. if you're not doing like a hundred parts, or well, if you're not doing like ten thousand parts, it's often just not worth it. Um, I don't know if they will be changing in the future to injection molded parts. It didn't look that professional. I gotta be honest there, but still, 
um, if you have this method that Adrian Boyer was showing, if it is implemented in nice software packages, it can be used in the future to strengthen parts that are mechanically stressed um, automatically and in a really cool manner. Yeah. So I guess let's let's take a, a quick step back and actually look at what's kind of happening in the in the process. So you start with a part, let's say, uh, if I had something that I could demonstrate this on, let's say this uh, this Vive controller. And you figured out, okay, this part up here where kind of the, the sensor ring meets. <laughs> Sorry, that probably blew up someone's uh, headphones. Um, I'll, I'll edit that out. Um, let's say this, this part where it meets um, the handle to the sensor ring is something that is structurally... Um, well, stressed because people bang it against the walls, which I've I've done on this one many many times, um, and you figure out okay, we, we need to reinforce like this portion. So what they are suggesting is to actually add small holes. So we've got a picture here that looks like someone's been drilling randomly oriented 0.5 millimeter holes into his, uh, a cube, basically, and looks like a well like a fiber reinforced bit. And what then happens because those holes are in the part, the slicer which is also something we're going to talk about later, slicers, haha, um, then sees that hole and is like, oh, this is a shell. I should create some perimeters around it. I should create some top and bottom solid layers. So it, it actually adds more material where each of those little, well, holes and channels are in the part. And that in turn strengthens your part because you have a, a kind of directional um, fiber, I guess, even, Mm -hmm. part. Now, of course, this is something that is very specific to FDM 3D printing. It's, it doesn't work in SLA, SLS. It doesn't work, work in subtractive manufacturing because if you take a part and drill holes into it, like it's it's not going to get stronger. It's going to get weaker, right? Um, and Yeah, but with FDM printing yeah. where your the internal, well, your part internally is hollow. You only have the infill. Yes. Adding or using this method will create more materials in the regions where, well, you want to have more. And again, this is not something new. This has been used. I think Prusa was posting something in yeah, an old... It's, it's been around for a long, long while. Yeah. Um, simply, uh, sorry, Slick3R has also a feature where you can add modifier parts to your yes. 3D printed part where you could, for example, um, change the infill density in specific regions. Yeah, so it's which, a second STL you load in um, yeah. and wherever that STL intersects with your original part, you can say, okay, that area is going to have more or less infill. So I guess that would be similar to the suggested fibers there. Um, and I've asked Adrian on, on Twitter, like, hey, what's the... Uh, because when you first look at that that image of that cube with just random fibers oriented and, and it's like yeah okay well that's that's infill right that's exactly what infill is for i was like hey you know why can we not just use infill and the specific thing is um those fibers in the part are, are actually just a, a means to communicate from your cat package into the slicer okay i want more material here I think we could achieve pretty similar results if we just um, had a second modifier mesh and imported that into the slice and mm. just said, okay, we want more infill here. The, the critical part is not the fibers themselves, though they're nice because you can orient them like fibers. Um, it's actually that the part where it can have varying material deposition densities, infill rates essentially, right, um, in your part that 
can be determined by simulation or empirically or however yeah. you want. I actually totally forgot that. Mm. <laughs> I actually used the same method on my on my test hooks because I had the problem that if I was using really elastic material like um, nylons, for example, the hook would bend at a specific region too much that I could not load it enough. So I added a really small slot on the inside um, to add additional material there. Um, it's it's totally neat. The thing which was bothering me a little is that the article is named making reprep prints stronger without doing a lot of work. <laughs> um, yeah, in theory, but I think at the moment it is kind of a hassle to do because especially with the suggested um uh, with a suggested workflow that he proposed. It's you do a finite element analysis. You take the results from the finite element analysis and add, um, well, CAD geometry in the regions where it is highly stressed. Then you export that part and all of that. At the yeah. moment, since it's not implemented in any commercial software packages, it is still a lot of work. But as I said in the beginning, I could see that being implemented in, um, well, software tools like Fusion 360 CAD packages. Yeah. And since uh, finite element analysis, especially um, linear finite element analysis is not something really complicated, I could even see things like these being implemented in, in slicers. It's It would be a really yeah. big module added to it, but um, well, the code behind that is not that complicated. I think the the interesting thing will be how do you interpret the finite element results into CAD geometry that will then be these uh, these virtual fibers. This yeah. is the challenging part. I, I I almost feel like it would be easier to have that modifier mesh as an extra output, as an additional um, piece of geometry that it can just load into your slicer because that's not going to have like the fibers needing to be defined somehow directionality wise and, and pattern wise though again we could probably make that work um what was i going to say the thing with simulations at least in, in my experience is always it's more work to actually just set up the simulation um because i mean that the processing time you need is is trivial um and then, you know, setting up your, your simulation in the first place and actually getting it right and getting it to the <laughs> point where it makes sense, where you're not just simulating something in a vacuum that has no relation to your real work loads, real life work uh, loads. That's that's the challenging part. And I think we're going to need a, a bit of education on that topic first bef before we can dwell into 12, dive? Dive, yeah. English is a hard language, yeah. Um, before we can, can get into that sort of, of topic for, for everyone. Um, yeah, that's just my point of view. Just make simulation mm. a bit less mystified and more approachable. Well, I think simulation is pretty approachable in, for example, Fusion 360 and other finite element packages. But I, I think, well, from my experience, this is the, the dangerous part because everyone with the really stupidest assumption can make pretty pictures. Yeah. Um, and he gets a result. If these results are feasible, that's a totally different question. So um, I don't think this is something maybe which everyone can do in the, or everyone should do in the future. <laughs> but people who have 
knowledge and kind of experience in that direction can use this method to make their FDM 3D pr printed parts even stronger than they used to be before. Yeah. Here's, here's a question I still have, though. Is there, do we already have a way of simulating 3D printed parts that aren't just a solid? Because when you simulate something that is machined, you, you assume it's a solid aluminum block. Yep. But with a 3D print, you have your shell and your infill and you have stuff like layer adhesion that is, you know, non-isotropical material in the end, which we can simulate. But can we simulate infill? Um, yes, there are. Uh, how do you say in English? Uh, so th 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 there are ways to do that. You could just, for example, like omit the infill and say, okay, the infill is not adding any strength to the part. So you can just simulate a hollow part, which is for some time, for some parts, quite a good assumption. Um, but I know... I don't think it's already implemented in commercial software, but I have seen that in papers that people used the G-code to um, read the direction of the filament strands that are put onto your part and then map this information to the elements in your, F in your uh, finite element simulation model. And okay, so that because wouldn't then, add geometry, that would just add information. It, it only adds information. And um, I think this is probably the way to go because um, it, it's, it's still fine if you just use PLA or non-filled materials because these are, at least from um, in terms of stiffness, kind of isotropic. And that is the thing which is interesting for you if you do the finite element analysis in the, is in the first place but if you are for example take a look at fiber reinforced materials yeah. their stiffness is hugely dependent on the printing direction um you've been using the, the mark forge printer yes. there it is even even uh, well a bigger advantage disadvantage uh, however you want to you want to put that but simulating these parts is really challenging um, and you need to have methods that can automatically map the information on the CAT part or on your finite element analysis and then get feasible results out in the end. But this is still something which is not a, not really implemented in any standard finite element tool as far as I know it. I guess what we could do just as an approximation for now, instead of just leaving out the infill and, and, and assuming a shell, um, replacing that inner material with something with it with a second material that is, you know, not as stiff and not as strong as your shell, but mm. you know, percentually less. Yeah. Um, this is we do. Yeah. I also did that. This is um, well homogene hardware homogene homogenization of the infill structure to just yeah. um, the. Um, specific directional dependent uh, material values and then yep. you don't really model like the infill itself but you homo homo hard word homogenize it into just one big mass which has um lower properties than if it would be 100 percent yeah infill. exactly yeah um and i guess that that would be something that could be fairly easily implemented into fusion um, if you have some preprocessor for yeah. your simulation workflow, just go, hey, yeah. this is a 3D print, shell thickness, infill yeah. ratio, boom. Yeah. Rough approximation. <laughs> it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be roughly there. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, it's 
finite element simulation even though it's easy it's easy to set up models it needs some experience because otherwise you're just creating pretty pictures without yeah. any sense behind them um yeah it's it, it can be done at the moment but it's it's just not as straightforward as maybe some are or would like to have it um but if you take a look at more professional 3d printing like metal 3d printing at least powder bed metal 3d printing the material properties are um kind of isotropic in terms of stiffness so simulating these parts is not that hard um they're the isotropic the ice yeah and you have a solid they're the isotropy the isotropy uh n isotropy is more in terms of the strength of the part because you have different strength values um well perpendicular to your uh layers um or like in the in the layer itself um and this is the challenging part at the moment yeah but there's lots of research going on so if 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 somebody if you are a student there are lots of projects at the moment going on in that direction because this is something where still research can be done not everything is is totally finished at the moment so it's a a really interesting well research uh, area to work in right i mean yeah we, we have the way I think we we are kind of in the progress stage of this is we we can do many things, but it's just not approachable or not not usable. It's not implemented anywhere. So I don't know creating methods that people can actually use in in their workflow is is going to be the bigger challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sweet. Sweet. <laughs> so we have already been talking about about slices there, um, yes. where you could already use something similar there with um, with the mesh modifiers. So that is probably a nice transition into the the area. We're, which slices? Rolling on nice transitions. Yeah, today. we are totally rolling there. Uh, which slices we prefer to use? And you've been just telling me that you have only been using like Simplify three D for two three times so yeah it, it feels like that for sure um <laughs> i mean that they gave me a license two years ago or so when version three or something came out i don't know like hey you know we're releasing this new thing and here's a license if you want to cover it and i was like ah, sure i'll, I'll check it out <laughs> um of course simplify 3d has this entire um open doors box attached to it uh, i guess because it's it's a commercial product it's the only commercial well, not quite, but it's the only popular commercial slicer that people um, actually use. So, well, they used to be NetFab, which was also, uh, the slicer at least, was commercial and licensed for the first Ultimakers. Um, that's that's kind of gone away. Um, yeah, Simplify 3D. What else is out there? Simplify 3D, Slick3R, Cura, Kiss Slicer, Craftware, Skyforge. And lots of the just proprietary slicers that are used for the Sawtrex printers. The yeah, but are do do you actually think those are like proprietary their developments <laughs> where it's just you know? Cura well, they with they the have skin? their own uh, a graphical user interface. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. 
Yeah, I mean, make a bot slicer, obviously, mm. stuff like that. Yes, mm. um, but but, <laughs> many of the small manufacturers I feel is just like no. it's the engine from somewhere. But I guess the most popular ones are Simplify 3D, um, Slick 3R or Slicer or or however you want to call it, and Cura. Um, I guess yeah. they are probably covering like 80, 90% of the um, non-professional slicer market. Yeah, for sure, for sure. If it's not even more um, than that. So, I mean, my personal slicer of choice is SlickVR, um, which I like because it's it's like super easy to set up and it just, you know, it, it gets you the results you want. I know how to turn all the knobs in there um, and it's it's been getting so much more powerful since um, Prusa kind of branched their own version off of it. Um, so I really like that. I, I also like Cura for, you know, it, it, it Cura feels more streamlined and i guess more professional mm. well i guess you, you just have to look at the at the user interface and you'd you'd get that <laughs> idea as well um but curious is also really nice because you can you can tweak so many more things than in slick VR and you can really set it up for dual extrusion and it does some really nice things there so for the ultimaker 3 it's a perfect match but i've also made it work on, on other printers um and then on the other hand simplify 3d i go in there and like I'm like, okay, why, why would I, why would I want to use this? This is so much harder to use and so much more complicated, and stuff is scattered everywhere. And no, I don't even it's know not. Where, where the print is. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. What, what, what are your experiences with Simplify 3D? Well, I when I purchased my first 3D printer, so my Mendel 90, I was using slick 3r at that point and this was still the version that alessandro runach ranelucci ranelucci still was developing at that moment uh, and it was kind of hard for me in the first place to just find all the knobs and tweak everything the thing which you really like about that and i also now really like about um, Slick 3R having worked with it for quite a while but the thing that was always bothering me was the really old really old graphical user interface and also um, the support capability and this is in my opinion one of the two features that is still standing out with uh, Simplify 3D at the moment and this is the great supports that they're making and the possibility to modify the supports in a really easy way that you can tweak them and only have supports in the areas where you need it and this is the this is one of the two reasons i'm i'm still using it for complicated models because i have the full control yeah so you're saying you're still using it as in you wouldn't be using it if it didn't have those features I wouldn't be using it if it wouldn't have this feature and the processes. These okay. are the things that are um, are really important for myself. So, because the processes I use is for all of the testing I do with my printer, because I want to set up one print which is where all of the parts have a different parameter applied to them. Be it temperature, be it speeds, be it whatever you could tweak. Yeah. Yes, this is also possible in uh, in Cura. It's also possible sure. in yeah, in Cura it's possible. Okay. You can apply um, different parameters to different models. It's not that oh. easy and not <laughs> that nicely shown and everything at the end, like in uh, in Simplify 3D. 
but it can be as yeah but it can be done um but the thing is this software is like 150 bucks and at that point when i purchased it it was really worth the money because it was the only software that could do that it was creating really nice g-code the g-code preview is great uh in simplify 3d but during the last like two years more or less no development has been happening and this is upsetting quite a lot of people not only me um, I also purchased it with my own money at that point um, and it's it's starting to lag behind it's starting to lag behind on features the new version is totally buggy and yeah not a lot of uh, is happening uh, and this is kind of upsetting me yeah um I mean, I, I would agree with you on the on the Simplify 3D features there uh, for sure. Like the custom supports. Um, I mean, usually when I design stuff, I design it so that it's 3D printable, so that I don't need to worry about adding supports later. Um, but yeah, it would have come in pretty handy at some points. The processes, yeah, it's something that the Simplify 3D, I guess, makes simple. <laughs> <laughs> As but the one thing that it actually makes simple, you can slice uh, G codes right on from other slices. You can just manually copy paste them together, and you get like a, a plate of parts that prints in sequence, and every part is, is printed differently. But yeah. it's a manual um, step, and I, I guess there it's a are manual step. Yes, not a lot of people around who do that, and these are really the yeah. What I've also seen processes used for is adding, for example, different infill percentages um, over the print of a part um which is again something that i love about cure because it gives you that option of having for example staggered infill mm. so you have let's say i've, I've worked with a company then i've probably pointed out before but uh, printing large parts for pumps that then get burnt out and used for investment casting so you don't need a ton of infill in there you have a top layer that is densely supported and then the further you go into the part the infill just gets sparser and sparser and that's just yeah nice. that's really great it, it, you know you set up one profile and it does it for you Cura is also nice because it is there's a lot of, there is lots of development happening there because Ultimaker is using that for their own printers. Yeah. And they are so nice that they are also giving it away for free for to be used on any other machines. Yeah. Was Cura always part of Ultimaker or what did that I don't know the history. There. I think they hired the Cura developer, but uh, the main developer. But uh, don't don't again. Don't <laughs> me that. Um, yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it's the same thing as with uh, Slicer Slickthrower that Prusa is basically made their own now. Though I gotta say, um, the Prusa Slickthrower and the uh, Slickthrower, the regular mainline Slickthrower, they're both being developed. Um, just over the last few years, the Prusa Slickthrower has been way more visibly. Um, advancing whereas the version from alessandro you know didn't have an official like stable release for quite a while um and just these last few weeks i think they've they've had a new like major release coming out they, they've had like um beta and testing builds basically happening for a long long while um and very regularly but um just now they've they've actually had a, a full release again really yeah yeah, so it's it's not that it's the slick through our project, the mainline slick through our project is not that it is still being developed. And I mean I can see it drifting apart in features from the Prusa fork, as you know, obviously a software does when you have two completely independent developer teams. 
Um, I guess they are being inspired by each other's uh, improvements, but at this point, they aren't really compatible to each other anymore because they, I mean, Prusa's done a ton of rework on the Slickthrow code base, and you can, I mean, you can tell. You, you open up uh, Slickthrow, you drop a model in, and it's basically instantly sliced now. Uh, which used to be a big advantage of Simplify 3D, right? Slicing speed. Yeah. Uh, because it was the only software that was actually compiled. All the other ones were just being interpreted from, <laughs> from Python or, or Perl um, in SlickCR. So, yeah, that's that's been happening. Now... I yeah. don't know if, if, if also... So, more or less, all of the Chinese printer are bundling Cura version 15.2 07 or something like that uh, with their printers i think this is also something which <laughs> you, you are looking a little bit confused no uh, I'm, I'm looking okay. at my at my uh, audition recording here because I'm, I'm noticing my levels are way lower ever since that ever since i banged the microphone i'm not sure if it broke something <laughs> in here <laughs> well if it's the recording it should be fine um <laughs> so no, uh, I, I guess more or less all Chinese printers, Creality, Tron XY, whoever is, are shipping Cura or some kind of a version of Cura with their printers. So Cura is a really popular tool with lots of 3D printer users because this is the tool they got with their printer. It's kind of nice to use. Um... So, yeah, I guess this is also one of the reasons why it is that um, why it's that popular at the moment, because it's it's shipped with every printer. Uh, everyone more or less knows how to use it. I don't really know why lots of manufacturers or at least a year ago still shipped a really, really old version of uh, Cura yeah, with their Cura printers. 15.04 is like... I don't know, Cura wasn't that good back then. No, it wasn't. And But that, that's something that, that I think we can say about pretty much all open source slices is they've massively progressed over the last, yes. I don't know, two years or so. They have been getting so, so much better. Um, and, and a lot of that stems from just having better presets and better kind of automatic guessing mechanisms in there. Um because you could even get a well, I'm, I'm probably leaning out of the window pretty far here, but you could get a print that looks pretty much as good as you know anything that is sliced with a modern slicer out of even the old Skyforge, if you tuned it in properly. <laughs> um, Stefan, I don't think you've ever used Skyforge. I've never been using Skyforge. No. Yeah, so you, you probably also don't know how the how Slick Theory started out. Um, because it's not always been this massive complex software that it is today. Um, back in my days, we used to have uh, we used to have Skyforge, which which was a Python, I believe, um, software package that took about two hours to slice every part, um, which was good fun. It was it was incredibly slow to use. It had incredibly weird and interlinked parameters, and then at some point, um, Slickthrower came along with like three settings you could change and it would automatically like guess the rest and people are like dude yeah sure i'm gonna use that for the rest of my life um so it, it, it really was a, a disruption in that sense that um you know something new came along and it radically changed the way we were using slices because you know tuning in Skyforge was its own kind of science um well it was probably more of an art than it was a science and then something new came along 
And when, well, I guess when, when Simplify 3D came along and, and people started using that, I'm not sure if it actually improved much as far as like print results were over what people were using or if it was just, um, you know, that the the defaults were better guesses than what your software was that was that you were using before. Um, yeah, I guess one one more thing that that I, that I kind of just want to get out there with Simplify 3D, they I think they have a, a two week trial now, uh, free uh, trial or a really? refund period or something. Yeah, it used to be a refund period, and this yeah. was drawing um, lots of people off using yeah, it. Yeah, because- and I had I had asked them about, hey, can you? you know, provide like a, a demo or something before they send me a full license. But um, I think that also kind of played into the hands of Simplify 3D because it was this mystical, this kind of ominous software you download, you'd buy, and then all of a sudden your prints would be so much nicer um, <laughs> than what you were having before. It's like this magic bullet, right? And people out there that didn't spend the money on it couldn't verify it. Mm. And there is a thing that is called, I actually noted it down, um, confirmation bias. Yes, the opposite of buyer's remorse. So you buy something and your brain intuitively wants you to to kind of uh, be happy with your decision because it, it, you don't really want to like tell yourself, oh yeah, I've, I've screwed up and this isn't actually better. So I think that also kind of played into it. But now that more people are using it, we can make some some uh well more unbiased uh comparisons i guess but it's yeah definitely um maybe staying on the topic the i think the question which is on the mind of lots of people around there is there still a huge difference in terms of print results if you're using slick 3r simplify 3d or cura i don't know how do how do you usually tune in your printer because like printing profiles is something that is shared on on internet forums and something like that and i don't know if it's really still that necessary at the point we are today because quite honestly how i tune in my printers i see if there is a profile available sometimes in in cure otherwise i just use anything yeah. and change bed size and retraction settings and it usually prints fine so exactly. i, I think there me. is not really that much magic yeah. involved there anymore um i mean that there is some tuning potential for stuff like temperatures yes uh, sure because it's the thermistor is going to read differently for retractions if you're using a bowden or a non-bowden setup um that sort of thing maybe yes if you want to get rid of ringing you you know tune your accelerations and jerk settings but Really, yeah, it's it's the same for me. If I get a new printer and I want to print something, I just open up Slick Through, I, I you know, bed size, nozzle size, filament diameter, and usually it's going to print actually pretty darn well. Yeah, and the thing is, if you really want to have nice prints, uh, <laughs> lower your printing speed and lower yeah, your accelerations, and you'll get recipe. the greatest prints that are out there. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about Simplify 3D, I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but if you create a new profile in Simplify 3D and just um, set something up from scratch, basically, and I've also noticed it on, on many of the pre-configured profiles, is their extrusion multipliers actually set to 90%. Yes. And it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, that's yeah. going to make your prints look <laughs> fabulous, but you know, you're going to... <laughs> Yeah, it's just I, wrong. Oh, Sorry, I, I have seen that so many times, and people were were saying, "Oh, yeah, I get the greatest print results if I use that 
a, a small extrusion factor. Yeah, your prints look nice. They're not over-extruded. Uh, but they are just weak on the inside. The yeah. the 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 perimeters do not adhere properly to to another, and all of that. Um, it it is, is something which cheat. makes more or less every printer work, and you can <laughs> print really nice, like cats with it and whatever. <laughs> yeah, so decorations, the, the standard prints, yeah, decorations just but, but it's not really print. usable for for. Well, it is not optimal if you have stress parts then you yeah. should really try to tune in your extrusion factor. Yes, sure. And I, I always, you know, typically I get a printer and they're usually tuned in for like 3 to 5% under extrusion just from the, you know, you do 100% in your slice. So you usually get a bit less material mm. than you think you are from your printer. And I think that might also be kind of a hack on the manufacturer's side where they're just, um, you know, trying to get their printer to print nicer because people look at like how something looks that is very easy to assess versus... Uh, you know how strong is it? I mean, mm. We've we too we've even been struggling with you know actually assessing uh, in a comparable fashion how strong prints come out. Mm. So yeah, I mean if you're happy with that, uh, just lower your extrusion multiplier to ninety percent in any slice, and you're gonna get way nicer prints. Yeah, well, this is the point. Uh, under extrusion usually doesn't look that bad. You will see it on your top and bottom layers that they are not totally filled. Yep. Um, but it's usually fine. Over extrusion is the problem where you get, well, the top layers don't look nice. The side layers might be too squished down and everything. Yes. Details don't look nice and all of that, which is in there. So um, if you want to have nice prints, 90% might be fine. Maybe you could even go a little bit higher, <laughs> uh, but it is not optimal. And it is like a bit of a workaround getting more or less any printer um, to good print results yeah and i guess as, as closing thoughts for for slices in in general like i i think that you can get really good prints with basically any slicer today um i have noticed that there are specific areas where some slices are better than others and some artifacts that you see with some slicing engines that others don't have. For example, I've I've used uh, Kiss Kiss Kiss, uh, Kiss Slicer with um, the Monoprice Delta Pro because that is their default slicer. That's what they ship with, and it has. I don't have a benchy here. I think no, but on the benchy on the bow on the the front part, mm -hmm. it has like this weird double shadow that kind of looks like it's um, an offset of the top surface. I don't know what is going on, but yeah, if you have those those holes in the in the front. Um, just go down a centimeter or so from that and, and there's going to be a weird kind of shadow rim but edge this is this is totally normal i and i actually wanted to make a video about no, that no it is it is way different between slices so it is way different between slices, slices but i think it's well in my opinion it's coming due to um thermal contraction of the material because this is exactly the point where like the the deck of the benchy ends and this deck will contract more than the layers that are above that and for this reason you can see this uh, this bow in there or this double shadow yes <laughs> but that's a different area than than what i mean with kiss ah, okay. i'm going to send you a photo later oh um, yeah perfect because again that there is specific things where some slicers just kind of do weird things that others don't and if you have a print that kind of doesn't come out the perfect way you think here i might even have a photo here sorry old people googling it's it's not something you want to do on, on a podcast but um 
Yeah, if you see weird stuff in your print and you, you can't explain, maybe just try a different slicer. It's, you know, it's free. <laughs> At least 80% of them. Um, try different slicers. Um, try different slicers that they're pretty easy to set up and see which one works for your, for your print specifically, for your application, um, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I also think. Um, the interesting thing is, so I was at Formnext and I have been talking to lots of like professional FDM 3D printing, 3D printer manufacturers, and more or less every one of them uses Simplify 3D. That's really, well, it's, it's interesting because it's a commercial product and they tune everything into work in there. But I was asking myself, why they're using it and why they're not using open source software? Uh, it might have to have to do something with um, just liability because you have a commercial supplier, but it might also be connected to the fact that like Slick 3R, at least the Prusa edition is obviously Prusa. Cura is Ultimaker and has Ultimaker branding yeah. all over it. And that's kind of the, the software you would want to use um, Probably the most if you have a, a professional setup. I know BC and 3D are, are supplying a custom Cura 2 or Cura 3 version for their machines. And it's just, you know, if you have Simplify 3D, you buy the license, you add your profile, and it doesn't have any weird branding in it that you didn't want, mm. wouldn't want to have in there. Uh, if you're doing something like BC and 3D, they've completely reskinned and reworked um, Cura to be BC and 3D Cura and not Ultimaker Cura. And that's just development effort, right? Mm. Um, so I guess the, the cleanest and simplest and, and easiest, if not, well, maybe not the cheapest version would be just to get a simplified 3D license, ship it with your printer. And I bet they're not paying the full 150 bucks for a license um, <laughs> if they're shipping it with printers. Well, so, if you pay like 50,000 yeah. bucks for a printer, the 150,000, uh, the 150 bucks for Simplify 3D wouldn't be an issue. True. Yeah. True. It's just... You know, it's a commercial product with a commercial printer. It kind of yeah. fits, but it's not necessarily, I well, at least I think, um, necessary to to have that commercial software in there. Yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah, but should yeah, should we do? Should we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I, I I think we have concluded everything on. Well, not everything, but lots of things on that topic. Uh, yeah. If you guys yeah, have any more questions, just let on, us know. We've on Simplify 3D enough, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like to use that software again more in the future, but I'm just really pissed off that they are uh, not updating their software, releasing updates that just don't work and um, licensing issues, what uh, Joel has also already yeah, been talking where, where about. People can't download profiles. I, I just want to stop bashing at the moment. Of, are they running out of money? Is it because they, they I, don't have a subscription model and we're selling licenses and now mm. people have the license and want to keep using it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If Simplify 3D is listening, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have pity. Yeah, but it's it's probably not going to change anything. If they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're, we're kind of short on cash. <laughs> but yeah, let's conclude that and move on to questions. Two more questions. We've not... Oh, yeah, we, we've got the hour four, but let's just keep on going. Let's at least answer one. Yep. Um, so Clement 
CKW on YouTube is asking, uh, why does the Infinite Z belt printer have to have a screwed axis? So we were talking about those in the last episode. We have a belt and then you have your Z axis essentially slanted 45 degrees. Um, he's saying, just thinking about it, why can't it be like the normal i3 printer with a belt and the Y axis and have ending G code to move the finished print off? So three things to that. Yeah, I was thinking about that, but it currently just breaks my brain. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> you can give it a try and, and answer that question at the moment. Um, and okay. I might add something. <laughs> okay. It's already late. Number number one, patents. Uh, Stratasys. Is it Stratasys? MakerBot? They get bought by Stratasys, right? Stratasys, yeah. Systems? Stratasys, yes. Stratasys. Uh, the MakerBot Thingomatic holds the patent for having a conveyor belt 3D printer with a perpendicular z-axis. So the idea of printing something onto a conveyor belt and then moving that off and ejecting it to the front, that is exclusive to Stratasys and MakerBot and nobody else can use it. Full stop. Like that is the most obvious reason why nobody else is building a printer that has a, a, a like a regular XYZ setup and a conveyor belt. Number one. <laughs> question answered <laughs> um number two um you can print infinitely well theoretically infinitely long parts on a slanted z-axis setup so you can keep conveying your um your belt off to the side and, and theoretically print like a, a zweihander um on a printer like that that's that's you know kind of feeding out into an outfeed table and and you know only partially still attached to your printer because it's essentially it's still moving up in its virtual z direction it's, right it's totally breaking my brain at the moment <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i'm thinking it's about getting late it's 9 30 here yeah <laughs> it's it's usually bedtime for me now um I, yeah i i think there are some problems if you want to really print perpendicular in a lying direction it works if you would use a normal printer and just tilt it but then the the part is basically um well mount to the z-axis but um yeah you, you just can't print into free air and this might be something which is not possible with the 90 degree axis and might be an advantage if you have this 45 degree scoot axis but i might totally be wrong there well for for infinitely long parts your, your problem is going to be you have you can't like rewind the print an infinite amount mm -hmm. um your y-axis basically is limited by the length of the belt. Yeah. Um, so you would always have to go back and forth on that belt. With a slanted axis, you basically just advance the belt a tiny bit when you have a new layer. So you can just keep advancing that belt and your, your part's going to pop off at the front. And you just keep printing, advance it a bit, keep printing one layer and advance it a bit because you're... you're um, but why couldn't you do that with a 90 degrees axis? With a 90 degrees? Because, um, well, which which way would your hardened be pointing? Towards the outfeed direction of yes, the belt? Yes, exactly. How would you get layer, uh, bed adhesion on that? Yeah, this is the, the problem yeah. that is currently killing my brain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, that would so, be, if that would even be possible in theory. Possibly, yeah. Gravity is going to help you with that, I think. Yeah. Um, but you'd need to have like a release. You'd probably need to angle your hot end as well, because with the with the slanted printers, your hot end is also angled forty five yeah. degrees. Um, so against the bed, it's actually not flattening it down. It's actually just kind of sideways squeezing it onto. Mm. 
Um, that was reason number two, because it's, you know, print length, and I, I actually forgot number three. <laughs> <laughs> it is late well, in, in well, Bavaria as well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess patent is one of the biggest yeah, things. That's, if, that's a killer. Yeah, so we still need to wait like 15 more years until the patent runs, all, runs yeah, off. Roughly. And yeah. then we're going to have the next generation of 3D printers, just like with the original generation of 3D printers, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. And also yeah, why other technologies are getting cheaper and cheaper over the last years, and which is helping us yeah. out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so many things broken with that, but that's, that, that could be a whole other episode. Um, I guess let's finish with a positive note. David has commented, he's using a blender for PLA parts to make fine particles for extrusion. Yes, I'm doing that as well. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Sweet. Um I have found that this is a really nice method um to just grind everything down to smaller particles. Um consistently, kind of consistently. Well, you don't get consistent particles, but the bigger ones are just shredded down in comparison to well, using the normal shredder. Um, the thing I found that is a problem that the blade just heats up quite fast. And if you are blending PLA, it will just, everything will melt down and just stick to the blade. Yeah, could you blend in distilled water? I thought about blending my uh, material in water to help with cooling but the thing is i don't want to contaminate our water right here with uh, uh plastic microplastic uh, yes. pl particles plastic microparticles um but well I, th I thought about just pouring everything into a coffee filter afterwards um currently working on that topic um like, yeah that should be fine enough right it, yeah, it depends. Yeah. It, it depends. Nano-sized particles. PLA, Sorry, if it's PLA, like organisms are going to di digest that. Um, yes, I think if you if you've got it through your regular sewage mm. treatment, even that should take care of mm. the um, of PLA particles. If it was ABS no. or PTG or some no. other plastic, I, I would I would worry about no. it. But PLA, I mean, you've got you've got um, not unicorns. <laughs> Uh, squirrels chewing on, on bird feeders that are printed on PLA because apparently it tastes sweet. I've not tried it, but yeah, it, it gets digested by yeah. biological yeah. organisms. I'm not that worried with PLA, but since I also want to work on uh, on other materials, yeah, this, this could be a problem. And if everyone starts just blending their um, parts with water and putting everything in, in the sewers uh, we have all this micro plastic problem again yeah does a does a regular blender actually keep up with blending pla or is it too hard is it bending chipping the blades um this is a really cheap um uh, a, a smoothie mixer and it has its problem i have currently purchased a more expensive 2000 watts phillips one and this can just chew through everything if you have right. seen uh, the blend tech blender videos <laughs> you well, know that you can even blend an story. ipad <laughs> yeah um yeah, it's a nice method. Um, you can't do really huge amounts of plastic in there. Um, sure. But still, the way I am really planning to do it in the future is to just kind of get it to a size that it's working in, in the extruder, then extrude a 
really coarse filament in the first place, chop that down again, and then use right. these consistently sized uh, pellets for the real extrusion in the end. It's a lot yes. of work, but I think this is the only reason, uh, the only possibility how you will be able to get really consistent filament quality, color, and um, diameter out of one of these uh, cheaper 3D printers. And I've talked to at least one manufacturer at... Um, at Formnext uh, 3DK Berlin, um, and yeah. he has he has been telling me that they were trying to really recycle parts and not just use the uh, upcycling, so the so the residues which are in the in the um, extruders, and they had problems with consistency with consistent material quality, and for this reason they dumped that question, uh, they dumped that idea. Yeah. Uh, but what they are actually doing, they buy uh, or they are getting some, like, I don't know if they, I think they're scrap or uh, old um, yogurt uh, uh, yogurt cups from Ehrmann, which are also right. made from PLA Ooh. or some other yogurt manufacturer. And... With these yogurt cups, they are producing their recycled filament. And I think this is a pretty nice idea. And it's a pretty good start. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that like the the, the one-time use forks and spoons, like those are PLA, those are tempered PLA and coffee stirring sticks and and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. as well. But I didn't know yogurt cups were were being made from PLA Um, as well. Not all of them, but... Okay. At at least some. Probably so I, I've I've checked the yogurt yeah. cups which we had at home and they were not they were PP or something like that. Yeah. So it's probably their um their organic yogurt line that's that's being sold in the PLA <laughs> cups. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Might be a an extra, you know, uh argument for for selling this one over your conventional one. You can even put it into your um compost. <laughs> yeah though have, have you actually tried composting stuff i i i have been planning to do that already last year i haven't been doing it this year but i th- i will be at a filament manufacturer in a couple of weeks and they are selling like a really biodegradable material and i want to print some samples put them in our compost just over the winter it's still nice and warm in there because yeah, all the microbacteria it's still, it's are still working alive. and i want to know what has happened to my parts after like a couple of months in the compost yeah um i mean i can give you some anecdotal evidence here some some some, some stories here um i've actually had some pla parts in our compost pile for probably one and a half or two years or so and then we moved the entire pile and i, I you know kept finding stuff you know eggshells kind of don't break down and pla prints apparently also do not break down at all <laughs> um so it was like the the octopus printed in clear PLA, and they looked good as new, but they didn't really have the the strength anymore. Mm. I mean, just from from sitting out in the in the moisture and in the heat, uh, does change them a bit, but uh, it's not. I mean, it's not as easily degradable as people might think. Mm. Clear, well, yeah, PLA, but I, but I think nobody or none of the filament manufacturers are really claiming that. Uh, PLA is biodegradable yeah, sure. on normal composts, but in commercial plants, um, it might be just a, a bit of a misperception by, yeah. by people. But it's also, the thing is with well, we have these biodegradable plastic compost bags here in Germany, and they are 
even a problem for the commercial composting companies because they are not breaking down in like the three month time frame they have to make All right. to make everything. So yeah, I'm I'm really interested to take a look at the the other material, which is based on just another resin. Nice. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And I think with that, we can sign off for today. We've covered everything. We've done an hour and 15 minutes again. We keep trying to go <laughs> on an hour, but sorry, guys, it's just not, it's not going to happen. No. I think we, we can, we can solidly give up on that dream. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, if you are not in a hurry, I always enjoy listening to longer podcasts. Yeah. If you are just only taking your time to listen to a podcast yeah maybe this is not the most suitable one but listen to us on your next trip holiday yeah. trip uh trip commute house wherever. cleaning uh <laughs> adventure or whatever and well you won't be upset <laughs> yeah you, you know when, when i was still commuting to work half an hour one way every day um you know it was it was good fun it was good entertainment to have you know something that you can just listen to relax and have people talk about stuff that you're interested in for yes. a while so i'm i'm hoping we're providing that um as always leave your comments below leave your questions below we're always eager to answer those if we still have time at the end of the episode um subscribe on itunes we're working on spotify right yes still some legal challenges yeah yeah um <laughs> but we're getting to there um we're getting there yeah itunes is a uh, itunes um then you can just subscribe to the mp3 feed and um yes should be working if, in most of the uh yeah, podcast so players that is the melt.zone slash mp3 and that should open up in your podcast app if you're opening it on your phone um and that's just going to give you the full subscription feed so even if you're not on your favorite platform yet that's a way that you can subscribe to this very podcast or you know watch on youtube all <laughs> you right. can subscribe there as well <laughs> all right but that's going to be it for today stefan thank you so much for your time thank you for your time and we will see and hear you guys well you guys will hear us in another two weeks all right thanks for listening bye Safe for listening bye <laughs>